Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to Psalm 125. Psalm 125, as we continue our study of the Psalms of Ascent. I'm so thankful for Adam Tarver and his faithful job with Psalm 124. Last week, I listened to it yesterday and had someone uh, tell me that I had very big shoes to fill this morning. I assume they meant that literally and physically because he wears a size 13. So uh, I assume that's what they meant. Uh, But it was an incredible job and really helps us continue to know how we learn from these Psalms of Ascent, how to navigate our own relationship with Jesus. And uh, just apart from all the specifics in these Psalms, the thing that makes me most excited about just taking this journey through the Psalms of Ascent is that it reminds us that we as the people of God are on a journey. We're making steps every day and, and walking towards Jesus. Every morning we wake up and we make a decision. Are we going to walk with Jesus today? And that's what the Christian life is. It is choosing not just once in the past, but every day to trust and follow Jesus Christ. And Psalm 125 is just another help in that journey. Our family just returned uh, Wednesday night from a national parks trip. We went out west for a few days and saw a bunch of national parks. It was, it was incredible. Uh, many of them I had not seen before. It was overwhelming. It was, it was beautiful. It really made me think about heaven. I, just, I kept thinking about how uh, if, if this earth is that beautiful, I can't imagine the new heavens and the new earth that God is going to create. There will be a day in which God will destroy all of this and he will build new heavens on this earth. And that is where we will dwell for a lot of eternity. You know that, right? We will be in a new earth and we will explore and we will run and we will play and it will be incredible. And so every time I saw the beauty of that, just amazed at all the resources we have here in America, just I kept thinking about the beauty of, of heaven. And so it was just incredibly beautiful and exciting. And if I'm really honest, I have to say, Uh, a little bit scary for me. Uh, I was having a hard time balancing with my children the whole, all right, guys, let's go, let's run, let's play, let's have fun. And then the, oh God, please, no, don't get any closer. I was feeling a lot of that on this trip. I'm usually not a nervous person. I'm I'm more of an adventurer. I I love to do anything adventuresome. Uh, But I honestly, I was really nervous on this trip. I don't know if it's because all of my kids were there or because there were 400 foot cliffs. Uh, But I just kept feeling uh, this balance between let's go, let's have fun and being absolutely terrified that one of my kids or me or my wife was going to fall off a cliff. Um, and it really honestly made me think about the Psalms of Ascent a lot. I mean, I think partly because I'm right in the middle of it, but partly because that really is the way our Christian life feels. It feels incredible and, and joyful and, and beautiful, and we're amazed by all that God has done for us, yet at the same time, there can be moments in which it feels a little, a little scary. And these Psalms, and, and we need this honesty I say this a lot, one of the things the Psalms give us is what the church often doesn't, and that's the freedom to be honest, just to talk real. And the truth is, these Psalms show us the joy and often the difficulty that can come in this journey that we take. I mean, Psalm 120 begins with uh, a person waking up, realizing that they have believed the lie that there's something better than Jesus. And they have followed that lie and they wake up one day miserable because the arrows of evil they were shooting are now coming back and hurting them. And let me just remind you, that's what sin always does. Every time we walk away from the way of wisdom, we are bringing harm upon ourselves. 
and these lies make promises of all of the freedom and the joy and the fun, but it always ends up harming ourselves. Students, if I can get you to believe one thing, it is this. Sin is always self-harm. And you just have to believe that by faith. And so the psalmist wakes up and realizes he's surrounded by liars and his life is crumbling and falling apart. And so he calls upon the name of the Lord and he says, Lord, I need to be saved. And God in his grace saves him. And he begins, he begins the journey. Which that moment, which all of us have to have when we give our life to Jesus, is the first moment of a journey with Jesus. But then he begins to journey and he immediately, Psalm 121, realizes that he needs help. I look to the hills, where does my help come from? And he's afraid that, that he's gonna die of a, of a heat stroke, the sun's gonna get him, or in night he's going to get crazy, or his foot's gonna slip, or he's gonna be overtaken by evil. It's kind of the awareness of the difficulty often of the journey. But then Psalm 122, he says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. It's, it's the joy of knowing Jesus, the joy of walking with the Lord in the midst of the difficulty. Then Psalm 123 talks to us about the contempt and scorn that often comes to those who choose to follow Jesus. Those who have not gone the way of Jesus will often bring contempt and scorn upon us. They'll look down on us. And I will say this, another word for students. If you're gonna follow Jesus Christ, you have to be willing to have people just think you're dumb and an idiot and not like you. That's just kind of part of the deal. And even for an adult, that's just kind of part of the thing. The contempt and the scorn comes with it. And then last week, Adam talked to us about Psalm 124, which says, if the Lord hadn't been on our side, if the Lord wasn't on our side, when the people rose up against us, they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, the floods would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Over us would have gone the raging waters. And, and so now all of a sudden, there's not just trouble. There's raging water and anger kindled and floods sweeping over us. And the journey begins to feel a little bit dangerous. The journey might even make us feel a little bit nervous. It can feel a little bit overwhelming and scary and we begin to feel needy. And this is why so often there's these reminders that are helpless from the Lord. And when things begin to feel scary and dangerous, we walk differently. So our family, uh, we do like to hike and we often a couple of times a year we'll go up to North Carolina and, and we'll do hikes and on those hikes, you know, we just have a tendency to let our kids go, you know? So Josiah just likes to run in front of us and we just let him run and like, hey man, if you see a bear, let bear, let me know, I wanna see it too. And so we're just like, go, just have fun, right? And they're running. But we walked differently on that bright angel trail down the Grand Canyon when there was a 400 foot drop. You just walk differently. Like this is the, I've always mocked this, but this is the first time in my life I wanted one of those backpack leashes for my kids. You know what I'm talking about? I've always made fun of parents that have those. And then all of a sudden, I really want, I wanted to be able to run and then go and just yank back. Because they're not reading the sign that says, don't go over this. Man, I can't tell you how scared I was. So like, I just wanted to pull back all the time. Because the truth is, depending on the journey, it determines the way you walk. What I'm starting to realize as we're taking this journey through the Psalms of Ascent there are a lot of believers that are walking through this Christian life like they're on the side of the Grand Canyon and in any moment impending doom is coming. And then, some of you, like me, do dumb things to make it worse. Where the night before we went to the Grand Canyon, I'm on my phone and Andrea asked me what I'm doing and I'm Googling how many people die a year at the Grand Canyon. 
The answer is 12 to 18. Die a year at the Grand Canyon. That's what I read the night before we went to the Grand Canyon. And I didn't just stop there. I read the stories, you know, like the lady who wants to get a selfie and she falls off and her family watches it. Like all those things I just read. But we do this, don't we? We, we not only have just the normal kind of fears of life, but then we heap those upon ourselves. And I don't know if we've ever been a part of a more just kind of nervous and fearful and anxious generation. But listen to this. The people of God are not supposed to walk that way. The people of God don't tiptoe through life. The people of God don't live with a constant threat of evil, terror, or impending doom. That is not the way we walk. But the dangers are real. And that's exactly why we need Psalm 125. It feels like Psalm 125 comes right at the exact moment we need it. After the chapters of the peace that God gives us when we come to know him, Psalm 120, and the help that we need in the journey and the raging waters of, of 124, there's trouble on the way. There's trouble. It's just, there's trouble. We live in a broken world. And so all of the trouble that exists because we live in a broken world, we're not immune to that as believers. Then there's some extra trouble. As we decide to walk with Jesus, the scorn and the contempt that comes upon us with that decision, so there's some extra trouble. And right as we begin to feel the difficulty of this, we have a psalm that exists to make us feel really, really stable and secure. If you're there at Psalm 125, say amen. This is what it says. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hand to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. This is a psalm about security. The opposite of security is insecurity. The feeling that we're not safe, the feeling of uncertainty, the feeling of anxiety. And oftentimes our life is marked much more by insecurity than by security. Not just all of the internal insecurities we have that maybe no one else knows about, but just the threat of all the possible things that can happen. I often say to people, God does not give you grace for your imaginary future. But we love in our mind to go to our imaginary future, all the things that could happen and all the things that could bring us harm. And the result is insecurity, just about life. And the reason we need this psalm is because there's too many believers who are walking with insecurities. And God wants to overcome those insecurities with a sense of security that comes from him. And that is Psalm 125. And it's not just there to fill our minds with a sense of security. Listen, it's there to change the way we walk. That's the issue. The Psalms of Ascent are about walking, okay? And so if we feel secure, if we feel safe, we walk in a different way than we do when we feel insecure. You all know that's true. 
And so what Psalm 125 is to do is to fill our minds and develop our hearts with a sense of security so we begin to walk with a new confidence, with an awareness of the goodness of God, and all of those little insecurities and anxieties begin to wash away in light of the greater security that is ours in Jesus Christ. And it begins with one verse that really summarizes it all. It kind of goes from broad to specific. Look at verse 1. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. The most important words may be the first six, those who trust in the Lord. It reminds us that we begin the journey with Jesus by faith. So that's, that's how it has to begin. You have to begin believing, listen to me, that there's nothing better than Jesus. That's how you got to start. That's as simple as it is. I believe that Jesus is the best of all possible lives in a broken world. You start with that decision and you believe that Jesus' death is sufficient to pay for all the sin and all the brokenness and all the dumb things you ever did when you believed the lie. Jesus died to save us from our sins. He rose so that his spirit might be in us and we might experience newness of life, that we might know the peace that comes with knowing him, the end of Psalm 120. So it is, that's how the journey begins, just by faith, by believing Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That's not just the way it begins, that's the way it continues. Hebrews 10, 38 says, the righteous are those who live by faith. The true test of a believer is not their faith in the past, but their faith in the present. So a question I, I like to ask is not, when did you trust Christ, but rather, are you trusting Christ? Because if I ask the first question, someone say, well, when I was five at VBS, I, I trusted Christ. Well, that's great. I want to know, are you trusting in the Lord? Are you continuing to choose by faith to trust and follow Jesus Christ? That's our mission for everyone, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. So it's saying here that those who have done that, those who are trusting in Jesus are like Mount Zion. It's a simile. It is, it is used to help us to see ourselves as something that we may not see ourselves. And that simile right there is perfect for this moment. Because think about it. The songs of ascent are the songs that people sang as they made their journey to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. They were making their way to Mount Zion. So think about it. They're journeying on their way and they're headed to Mount Zion. But you know what happens on the way? And all of this, a metaphor for our journey, listen, well, there's a danger over here, so they begin to look over here. And you know what happens? Their heart is removed from Zion to the danger. Well, then there's a cliff over here, and they get worried about that. And, and then there's a possibility of danger. And then we see someone else in danger, and someone else get hurt, and this person falls. And what happens, oftentimes on the journey, we have a tendency to look more here and more here than we do there. And every single time your eyes get off of where you're going to all of the potential things on the side, that's when the fear and the anxiety happens, isn't it? The fear and the anxiety creeps in, well, what if this? Well, what if this? Well, maybe this is going to happen. All of a sudden we begin to spiral. And so one of just little subtle things it teaches us here in Psalm 125 is that you have to set your eyes on Mount Zion, on the place where you're going because that's where the stability and the security is. Eyes fixed on the wrong place are always going to lead us in the wrong direction externally and internally. But it's, it's not really about the mountain. I mean, the mountain is stable. The mountain is secure. But look what it says at the end of verse 1. 
Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which, Mount Zion, cannot be moved, but abides forever. Now, Mount Zion doesn't abide forever in that sense. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. But remember the Psalms teaches us that when it talks about Mount Zion, it's really more about God himself. The presence of God is dwelling in Mount Zion. And so what they're really going for is God himself. So the stability, the security is not in Mount Zion, but in, in God. It's saying God is the one who abides forever. God is the one who cannot be moved. So the emphasis is fixing our eyes upon the Lord. This is Hebrews 12. We fix our eyes on Jesus so that we can run the race with endurance that is set before us. And we don't get bogged down with all this other stuff. And every Christian I've ever known that's found themselves in a mess and gotten in trouble and made bad decisions is what? Is because for a season in their life, they've stopped looking at this and they've started listening to this voice looking in that direction instead of focus straight ahead. So Psalm 125 exists to kind of turn our eyes and turn our attention to the Lord and to let us know that as we fix our eyes on the Lord, we realize there is some real security for us as a believer because we are as secure as Mount Zion. There's nothing else in life that's like this. Our plans, our possessions, our finances, our health, our retirement, there is no ultimate security in those things. None of those things abide forever. We talk about the volatility of the market. You've been hearing more about this. What that means, we talk about the volatility, it means it can change, it can change rapidly. It's, it's unpredictable. It's volatile. We, we, just, we just don't know what's going to happen with it. I think Psalm 125 exists to help us know that when things around us feel volatile, then we feel volatile and we feel uncertain and nervous and anxious about what could happen. But Psalm 125 exists to say, believers are not volatile. They're as secure and safe as Mount Zion because they have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the blood of Jesus Christ has purchased us and guaranteed our safety and security all the way home. So he says, we are like Mount Zion. We are secure and safe in the Lord. I think that first verse gives us this kind of confidence that you get at the end of Psalm 23, which says this, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I know all the dangers on the way, but I'll tell you this, I know I'm gonna dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I am safe and secure. I am like Mount Zion because I've been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. So that's kind of the, the overarching picture of security and stability that is ours in Christ. But then it gets more specific. In verses two through five, it begins to give us some more specific promises of why it is that we should feel secure. See if, see if you can discern them as, as we walk through it. Look, look at verse two, it's a beautiful picture. It says, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. Really is a beautiful picture, and, and that idea of being surrounded really communicates security. So if we're watching a, a cop show or something, they'll say, all right, come out, we've got you surrounded. What do they mean? Well, they mean there's, there's no way out, there's no, no reason for you to run, there's no reason for you to try to escape. Why? We have the entire perimeter surrounded, there's no way out. So what it's saying is, the Lord is saying, I've got you surrounded. I've got you surrounded. There's no way out. I've got you. You can't get away. I'm, I'm all around you. The Lord surrounds his people. 
And so he's to our right, he's to our left, he's behind us, he's before us. Everywhere we go, the Lord is there. Psalm 16 says, because the Lord is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. The Lord surrounds his people. If you, if you write in your Bible, I think a great cross-reference for verse 2 is Psalm 139. Write Psalm 139 beside verse 2. I, I like to write cross-references. That way when I go back and read, I can be reminded of where it says this someplace else. But let me read a few verses from Psalm 139. You can turn there if you want. It's a great picture of what he's talking about here, about being surrounded by the Lord. Psalm 139 says this, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You have known when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in. I love that word. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. I love when he says that you have hemmed me in. It means to be completely enclosed and surrounded. That's Psalm 125. You've hemmed me in. You you have made it so that there is no place I can go away from you. There is no direction I can look in which you are not there. So I'm afraid of something at my right. Well, you're there upholding me. If I'm afraid of something at my left, you're there. If I'm afraid of something behind me or something ahead of me, that you have surrounded me, you have hemmed me in, that you have completely covered me in every possible way. It reminds me that maybe the most important promise in all of scripture is simply the promise that God is with us. That God is just, is with us. Remember Moses, when God came to Moses and said, Moses, I'm choosing you to lead my people out of Egypt. And Moses had all kinds of excuses. This goes on for a little while. Moses felt really insecure. He said, Lord, I'm not a good speaker. It almost feels as if he had some kind of speech impediment. God, this is not what I do. This is not my thing. I can't do this. I can't do this. God, they hate me there. I I killed someone. They're, They're wanting to kill me there. All of these excuses, and every time God says one thing, I'm going to go with you. (laughs) I'm going to go with you. So what the Lord says in all of our excuses and all of our insecurities, I know, but I'm going to go with you. God, I can't. No, no, no. I'm going to go with you. Remember Joshua, when God said to Joshua, you've got some big shoes to fill, and you're going to be the one, after generations, who are going to lead the people into the promised land. And the only promise he gives him is this, be strong, courageous, don't fear, don't be dismayed. For the Lord your God is, what is it? With you, wherever you go. Think about David in the darkness of the night as he's watching sheep and the awareness that around him, even where he cannot see, there are wild animals there. And he says this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Think about the Great Commission. There's a statement of authority. All authority has been given to me. There's a command. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them. But there's only one promise. And lo, I am 
with you always, even to the end of the age. The most repeated and greatest promise that God has given us, the scripture, is simply the promise of his presence. And look at it here at the end of verse 2. The Lord surrounds his people, I love this, from this time forth and forevermore. From the moment in which you have decided to give your life to Jesus Christ till the very end, through all of eternity, from this time forth and forevermore, you are surrounded and secure by the Lord. It is the promise of presence. That's what it is in verse 2. It's the promise of presence. That you can't get away from his presence. That he's always there. He's always around you. It is the promise that you can walk securely because you never take a step alone. He's been there before. He'll be there after. It's the promise of presence. There's another promise. The promise of presence is verse 2. But see if you can discern the next promise. It's in verse 3. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous. Lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Now in my Bible I, I underlined the shall not real big. Because those are promise words. I like those. Shall not. There's some promise that is being made here, something that shall not happen. What he's saying is what shall not happen is the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous. Now the scepter of wickedness refers to the rule or the power of of the wicked. In this context, it probably is referring to a wicked nation, but I think in our context, it has broader meaning. It is any rule and reign of wickedness, whether around us or, or beside us or uh, the plans of the enemy to draw us away or to lead us into temptation, any of those kind of things. It's the plan, the rule, the reign of, of wickedness. And, and sometimes that makes us afraid. Here, specifically, they were afraid that wickedness would prevail over them both externally and internally. They were afraid that the land that was allotted to them would be overtaken by the wicked. And so they just kind of lived with insecurity that, listen, we've got this place and God's put us here, but, but wickedness is going to overtake us. They're also worried about the internal threat of wickedness. Look at the end of verse 3. Lest the righteous stretch out their hand to do wrong. So now we're saying, we're not just worried about the external threat, but what about the internal threat? What if wickedness leads me astray? What if I don't make it because I turn the way of wickedness? What if someone I love turns the way of wickedness? It's that constant fear. This is really good for us. Because sometimes we act like the church and Christians are just really fragile. What this is saying is that I know we might fear sometimes the threat of wickedness overtaking us or the threat of wickedness internally leading us astray, but neither the church nor the people of God are fragile. It says the scepter of wickedness shall not overtake you externally, which I think refers to the church, and shall not overtake you internally, which refers to every one of our hearts because God has promised that the church and all of his children will abide forever. I mean, Jesus said the very gates of hell will not prevail against the church. I get emails all the time, people saying, Pastor, the church, you don't understand. The threat against the church, everybody's rising up against the church. Listen, I know the threats are real, but I am not worried about the church. I'm not worried about the church. Because long after ever 
every governing leader and authority is long gone, the church of Jesus Christ will still remain. I'm not insecure about the church. I'm more confident in the church than I've ever been before. And we have to feel the same confidence. And I'm confident in the security of the believer. I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Will we sin? Yes. Will we have some dumb moments? Yes. Will we at times walk away from the path? Yes. But every one of God's children will make it until the end. We don't live with, with insecurity. We live with the confidence that the scepter of wickedness shall not overtake you or the church kept thinking about that little story in Luke 22. It's such an odd moment when Jesus looks at Peter and says this, Satan asked to sift you out. You know what that means? Satan asked to bring you out from the company of the disciples. Satan asked if he could have you, if he could remove you. And Jesus says this, but I prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And it didn't. Did he mess up? Yeah. Did he make it to the end faithful? Yes. And, and, and I would have a tendency to think, well, that's just an odd episode. But then in John, 15, John 17, Jesus prays for us, for all disciples. And he says this, I'm praying for them that they would be protected and kept from the evil one. 2 Thessalonians 3.3 says, the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. This is Psalm 125. The scepter of wickedness will not overtake you. And so that threat that we often feel is now gone because we have the security of the believer that the church and every believer will stand. It is the promise, not of his presence, but of his protection. That's verse three. Verse two is the promise of his presence. He's hemmed you in. There's nowhere you can go from him. Verse three is the promise of his protection that you can walk securely because you are protected by the one who has secured you in the blood of Jesus Christ. There is one more promise. We have the promise of presence in verse two, the promise of protection in verse three, but there's one more in verses four and five. He begins to pray. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their heart. And you know what he's doing? Just a little aside here. He's praying the promises of God. God has promised to do good to his children. He's promised that. He's promised to bless us. And he's just praying the promise. So he's saying, Lord, I'm praying that you would do good. He said, well, I've already promised that. I know, but he, he's almost praying it to the Lord, but preaching it to himself. He's claiming the promise. He is praying the promise. And then look what he says in verse five. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evil doers. Now, this is really, really good. Look at this. Verse five is the exact opposite of verse one. It's meant to give us a contrast. Because verse one says the righteous are like Mount Zion. They cannot be moved. And we do because of the Lord Jesus Christ abide forever, don't we? This is eternal life that we may know him. Eternal life begins the moment we know Jesus and never ends. We abide forever in the presence of God. We're like Mount Zion. We are these stable, unmovable forces in Christ Jesus. But look at the wicked. Those who turn away to their crooked ways, they're gonna be led away with the evildoers. Remember Psalm 1? 
It talks about how the righteous are like this tree, deeply rooted and firmly planted by streams of water, bearing fruit in its season, increasing and blessing many. And the wicked are like the chaff that the wind drives away. There's the difference. A firmly rooted tree and then chaff that just gets blown away. A mountain that cannot be moved with the wicked who will perish. One of our days we were gone, we were in Utah and there was a windstorm. And the winds were blowing up to 50 miles an hour. And uh, it wasn't just blowing wind. In Utah, all of the ground is sand and rocks. And so when the wind would blow, it would pick up all of that stuff and it would blow it on you. And it legit hurt. Like, I'm not kidding. Like, it's not just sand in your eyes, which was a real thing. I mean, there's just like all these rocks are just coming at you. And we were about to go on this tour to see these canyons. And right when we got there, it got canceled. And the reason it got canceled is because these canyons are a little bit underground. And what happened in the tour before us is that the wind was blowing these rocks and it blew one larger rock who hit the tour guide in the head and sent him to the hospital. So which I was kind of ticked the tour was canceled, then kind of thankful. Like that's a good thing, right? And so the wind was picking up all of this stuff and blowing it. And I mean, it was, you could feel the, the, the wind, but the wind was picking up anything that, that, that wasn't stable. But you know, I, I noticed in the midst of the windstorm, look over at the mountains, they weren't moving. They weren't threatened by the wind. They weren't swaying back and forth. I, I never had a fear that that mountain would be picked up and thrown at my children. That's the difference in verses 1 and verse 5. It's the difference between the righteous and the wicked. The wicked will be blown away like everything else, but the righteous will be like Mount Zion. There's no fear that we will be movable. Because the wind is real and it is there, but the reality is it cannot be moved. So this is really the promise of, of perseverance. If verse 2 is presence and verse 3 is protection, verses 4 and 5 is the promise of perseverance. That God has promised that he will keep you, that he will grow you, that he will sanctify you, that he will glorify you. He will keep you safe until the end. And listen, in your life there will be wind after wind after wind. But those who are trusting in the Lord are like Mount Zion and they will persevere. They will persevere. So we have this big, broad promise that we can be secure. We're like Mount Zion and these specific promises. It's true because of the presence of God surrounding us, because of the way in which God is protecting us, because he has promised our perseverance. But I think Psalm 125 really just reminds us of the powerful and practical importance, listen, of just the promises of God. If you've been with us for the last year or so, you should already know this from our study of Hebrews we can't make it without promises. We need promises every day. We need promises every moment. We cannot function faithfully without the promises of God. That's what we hold on to. Because we believe in God and we believe in the one who made the promises. Parents, you need some promises for your children. Students, you need some promises. All of us need promises of God. Some of you older adults need some promises for the future. Let me just say this. I, I grew up in a family, particularly on my mom's side of the family, uh, that really believed in the need to get a Bible promise. And so I grew up with, with saying, listen, if you got any big decision to make or anything going on in your life, well, you need to open the Bible and get a Bible promise. And so my family would often talk about, well, I couldn't decide what to do or I was worried about this, but God gave me a promise. When, when I uh, went off to college, my mom gave me a Bible 
And she had bought the new Bible for me and she had gone through all of her old Bibles and journals and written in this new Bible every promise the Lord had given her from the time I was born, including the one that God gave her the day that I was born. And uh, she just got promises for me. And I didn't know about them, but she just held on to them. <laughs> and the days in which we thought there was no hope for me, she got a promise. And, and uh, here I am. You know, when I was in college, I got really cynical towards Bible promises. And the reason is, is because people can really take some verses out of context, like really well. Like people are really good at this, Right. You take some verse that has nothing to do with the context and was not intended for you and you just hold on to it. You know, I remember a guy in college saying, I, I know God has given me, give me a wife. Why? Because everybody who finds a wife finds a good thing and no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Like you mixed a few things there, man. I, I don't know if I'm following you on that one, but so you, you can take these out of context, but, but let me tell you something else. The more I've grown in my relationship with the Lord, listen, the more I've realized I really can't function without promises. I can't. Like I need, I need the promises. I need them for my marriage. I need them for my kids. I need them for the church. Just recently, I've been, I've been, I've been really struggling with what to do next with our church. I'm hearing a lot of voices saying, let's build buildings and let's do more stuff. But I got to hear from God. And let me just tell you something. The more I have sought the Lord and fasted and prayed and opened the word of God, every time I've done it, God has given me a promise. And it may not be a promise for the next five years, but it's a promise for the next step. There has never been a time which I've needed a promise from the Lord that God has not given me a simple promise to hold on to. And let me tell you something. God has given us a Bible filled with promises to secure you in your walk every day. You need the big, broad promises like Psalm 125. You need the specific promises like verses 2, 3, 4, and 5. But you also need some very real promises for your children, for your future, for your life, for what God wants to do with you in the days ahead. You need some promises of God, and God wants to give them to you. And the goal, listen to me, is not just to fill your mind. It's to change your walk. We have to stop walking like we're on the edge of the Grand Canyon. We gotta walk as if our steps are ordained by the Lord. If there is a God who is around us, he is behind us, he is before us, he is watching our steps, he has promised that he will persevere us and secure us until the very end. So what do we do? We start walking differently. We don't walk with fear. We don't walk with anxiety. We don't walk with uncertainty. We don't keep getting our eyes to the right and to the left and thinking about the potential of all the things that would happen. We keep our eyes focused on God. We put our shoulders back and every day we get out of bed and say, I'm gonna walk with the Lord today and I'm gonna be secure and confident and his promises, that's how a believer walks. Why? Because you have been purchased by the very blood of Jesus Christ and he has secured you until the very end. So let's walk that way. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.